series a few weeks ago, which has started our theme of the year, Awakening Unto Righteousness. Um, Bobby, can you bring me that board back out? I'm going to use this board this morning of some of the things that we've been sharing with you about. And I can look at this board and it could give me more specific of some of the things that I was sharing with them and some of the things that I would like to share with you. And this week right here, <clears throat> we've been, we dealt with uh, the first couple of weeks about awaken under righteousness because it's the theme of the year for us. And we said the word awaken means what? To rouse one understanding. To rouse one understanding or another, uh, another way of saying it, it is to awaken us out of a spiritual stupor, okay, a spiritual stupor, meaning this, <clears throat> it's just meaning that we are, thank you, sir, we are awakening to something of a new, with a new identity, okay? So you're born again now, so now we have to be awakened to the nature of God. Did you hear what I said? That's what righteousness is. It is a we awaken to what? Our true identity, awaken to the nature of who God is. That's what you have living inside of you right now. You got the nature of God living inside of you. Look at someone this morning and say, I have the nature of God living inside of me. And so do you. Amen. So that's what that righteousness is. That righteousness is the nature of God. So that righteousness, and what does it do? That righteousness put us in right standing, in approval, and rightful demand all that God wrought for you and I through the blood of Jesus. Amen. It's not a righteousness based on your doing or your deeds. This righteousness is only supported by what the finished works of Christ has done for you and I. So I'm righteous because Jesus fully met the demand of all of God's wrath of unrighteousness and ungodliness that was towards us. I couldn't. You couldn't. But Jesus Fully met, and, and if I want to uh, bring you, I want to take you to three places here. Uh, four things that can happen to an individual before they have a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is one that has no more discernment. Uh, they not only do they have no more discernment, but then also in principle, they have no more principles that they're living by, or they just stop taking a stand for that which is right. Why? Because they're not moved or bothered by it anymore. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You ever heard that before? And some people have no more conscious, and when we say of, of discernment, that means you're, you're no longer thinking about discerning what's right and wrong. That comes through your conscience. That comes through your soul, okay? Back in the early 80s, you know, we, they used to have, they had to, uh, some people believe they blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. How, how many of you ever heard that term, blaspheme against the Holy Ghost? And so it's a couple of you that heard that term, but in the early 80s, <clears throat> we had, Many people will call me up or talk to me about because they thought they blasphemed against the Holy Ghost. And, and simply what it is is just that, you know, having no more discernment, living no more in principle or having no more stand for what is right. Okay. Now, as long as you have a question about did I blaspheme against God? Did I do this? or No, you hadn't because... The question you have, it would not put you in a place whereas you're discerning whether or not I did or I didn't. So for you to have a question to say, did I do this or did I not do? No, nope, you're okay. You might be you might be in error, but you're okay. You follow what I'm saying? All right. Uh, if we look at First Corinthians, I mean not First Corinthians, Romans chapter one, we talked about these verses, but what I want to share with you. We're going to use the word 
<clears throat> here, uh, imagination. This right here, the word imagination, right here. Can y'all see that? The word imagination right here, when you look at it, what do you think the word imagination means? Anybody? What the word imagination mean to you? It, it's a picture of your mind. So, take for an example, apple. Right? Everybody see apple, right? It could be a little red apple, green apple, a little yellow apple. But if I put us all on the same way, the same picture of mine, a big, red, juicy apple. Now, you no longer see the little apple. You see what? A big, red, juicy apple. Why? Because we all know what it looks like, right? So that's what it is. So imagination is a picture of one's mind. So that means when we speak words, you don't see words. You see the words framing or forming a picture. It's like the word the Bible said in Hebrews 11.3, the worlds were framed by the words of God. So we can see trees, we see the moon, we see the sun, we can see grass, we can see different things. What happened? The worlds were framed, Jupiter, uh, uh, Saturn, all of the different planets. How were they framed? Framed means they were spoken. They were framed, but they came forth from God, and what God saw in him, he spoke forth. It's a, and this is the same thing that God gave us. In Genesis 1.26, God gave us image and likeness. That's the two things he gave us in Genesis 1.26. He gave us image and likeness. So the image and the likeness that God gave to us is to help you and I to understand his creation that he made and put you and I as a trustee over. All of us have been entrusted to the God, the, the, uh, the creation of God. And that's why it's important that you and I understand, number one, if you notice here, put this up in Romans chapter 1 and look at verse 18 through 21. We've been talking about these verses, but I'm going to Focus on the next couple of weeks as we deal with the subject of Roman uh, on the, the power of your imagination. So as the righteousness of God, you're going to have to understand that you're going to have to, number one, you're going to have to, and these are the words that you're going to see, the word glorified, the word thankful, the word imagination, and heartness of heart are dark and hot. So let's look at this for a moment. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Against what? Talk to me. All what? Ungodliness and unrighteousness. Is that right? Of men who hold the truth. Where? In righteousness. So in unrighteousness. So therefore, all of us know of the wrath of God. When you were growing up. I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, you know, we used to hear messages about uh, uh, fire and brimstone. You're going to hell. Right? I mean, I heard those kind of messages. I mean, I mean, just some of the things, just looking at God's, the nature, the creation of God. I mean, just think about, you knew that there was a God. Because the, the raft of it was already in us all. Okay? That's what it's saying here. The raft of God is revealed from heaven against all. So when, whatever we've done that was ungodly, that was unright, we knew it was wrong. But we did it anyway. Hmm? Next verse, Casey. Because that, here we go. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. And notice this, for God has shown it unto them. That means that word showed or show, yes, yeah, show or show. In other words, the word shown means to shine. And it's like inside of you, you can see, just like you can look up at the sun, it's shining. 
Well, that word showed me is shining within us. In other words, we could see the ungodly. We know that that's not right. We know it's not, we're not to have sex outside of marriage. We know it's wrong to commit adultery. We know it's wrong to live uh, in a homosexual lifestyle. We know it's wrong to, be, uh, to have uh, idols, to commit adultery. Right? We, already, we all knew that. Nobody, why? Because God is showing us this was, all this was already in us. The intuitive or intrusive knowledge of God is in every human being. He revealed it. And that's why this scripture say, because that, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. The only way it could be manifest in us, God had to reveal it. Right? For God has shown it unto them. So for someone to say, well, I'm an atheist, or uh, uh, I'm this, I'm that, you know, whatever. You know, I just don't believe this. I believe, you know, I'm a, I believe it's a high power. I just don't believe it's, you know, it, it, that. That's ludicrous. They lie to themselves. And God will let them do that as long as they got breath in their body, but Every human going to stand before God. So the righteousness that we're speaking about is not a self-righteousness. It's not a righteousness that you have a right to do what you want, how you want to. You do, but there are consequences come with that righteousness. Outside or beyond God's way of thinking, God's way of doing. Can y'all understand that? Now watch this, verse 20, here's the key verse. And I want y'all to really get this because you have friends. Say, so, well, I'm an atheist. Well, you could be an atheist. Well, where did he get that from? Because the Bible said God has revealed all ungodly. The wrath of God has been revealed to all. Now you may have hardened your heart. You may have gotten, you know, gotten farther and farther away, but I'm sure that's why this word imagination is so important. Because you can't have a hard heart or you can't say I'm an atheist unless, notice this, you've been looking at something that presented an image. You've been listening to someone that's been putting words in your thoughts. And notice this, words project the image, like we said, Apple. You don't see A-P-P-L-E. You see it now. But if I say dog, you don't see D-O-G. You see dog. Now, according to what kind of dog you like. You may be accustomed to just a little weenie dog. That's not a dog. <laughs> a little rat terriers. That's not a dog. But them things will snap your deal, snap at your ankle, boy. I tell you what. You understand what I'm saying? Or you may be accustomed to a big dog, a German shepherd. Right? Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I've been looking at them Belgium. Mal boy, look, let me tell you something, that's a dog. But I don't want that dog if I'm in, I, I got to have that dog with a, on an acre of more land. So where I could run him, I could exercise him because that's a whole different dog. A German Shepherd is a very active dog. But a Belgium, that's another level. And I love them. They're beautiful. Smart dogs. I saw one inside of Lowe's, I mean Home Depot the other day. The lady had it with him. And that thing was, you know, she had to constantly make sure that he stayed focused. That dog is so, them dogs so agile, it's just like, it ain't funny, boy. But anyway, okay. But my point is, is that your imagination paint a picture through the power of words, whether it be light or darkness, your imagination going to absorb. But in order for your imagination to become darkened, number one, you have to stop glorifying God. The word glorified means to extinct, to hold high in value. It's the principal thing. 
when you glorify God. To glorify God means simply, just simply saying, I glorify God over my pain in my body. I don't allow the pain in my body to just have the dominant effect. I'm not denying the pain, but I'm telling the I'm talking to the pain about what my God has done. He has sent his word and healed me of all my sickness and disease. So what I'm doing, I'm highly esteeming the word of God, which already healed me. And therefore, I say to the pain in my body, I take the authority in the name of Jesus. Pain, I command you to leave my body. So what am I doing? I'm exercising the right of that authority that God has given unto me above the pain that subsides in my body. I'm not denying the pain not there, but I am glorifying God, holding the word of God highly more esteemed than the pain that's in my body. I'm not just subsiding to the pain. Oh, this pain killing me. Oh, this pain. What am I going to do? How? No, see, what you're doing, you're honoring the pain more. You're giving the pain more glory than you're giving the word of God that's already been displayed and said as the righteous. All that I have made a right for you, all that I have demanded on your behalf, that if you partake my word and forget not my benefit, Number one, who forgiveth all thy sins. Number two, who healeth all thine diseases. Number three, who redeemed thy life from destruction. And number four, that crowned you with loving kindness and tender mercy. That's Psalm 103. We'll look at it. Put it up there for a moment, Casey. Psalm 102. Is it Psalm 102 or Psalm 103? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Is 103? 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and, and, <clears throat> and forget not, and that's verse 1, but bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not what? What does it say? So you see, to forget not all his benefit, you have to show forth thanksgiving. Hmm? You have to, to, to show forth thanksgiving me. See, to glorify and to be thankful goes together. Because when you show forth thanksgiving, what you're doing, you're saying, Lord, you're humbling yourself and saying, Lord, I thank you. See, to be thankful, thankful bring forth memory of what God has already done. It's a remember, it's a memory. You're remembering. What God has done. And what you're doing. I'm showing for. I'm not. No look at it. I'm not looking at again. I'm not looking at the condition. I'm not looking at the pain. But I'm looking at what God has already done. The benefit. Bless the Lord. Oh my soul. And forget not all his benefit. So that means I have to remember. I have to humbly humble myself to do what? To memorize God's benefit. Can y'all see that? I have to reflect. That's what another word for them, being thankful. I have to reflect on God's goodness. Because if you don't, what the scripture says, and forget not, what? That means I can forget. Which brings you down here to that hard heart or a heart that's darkened. Through your vain imagination. Why? Because you stop being thankful. Hmm? As the righteous of God. And I'm really mainly speaking to the people that are righteous because when we talk about a reprobate mind, we mainly look at a reprobate mind just dealing with people who live in the homosexual lesbian uh, lifestyle. But this, this, this reprobate mind has more to do with you and I as a believer that walk away from Christ. Hmm? Can y'all see that? It, it works both ways, but this right here is mainly talking to those, you know, when you look at it, <clears throat> I think it's in Romans chapter 2, and it talks about in verse 28, talk about the reprobate mind. In 2 Corinthians, uh, what is that, uh, 5 and um, uh, 7, I think it, not, uh, 
13, it talks about uh, the reprobate mind. In other words, let us examine ourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. When it says to examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith, in other words, to see are you still walking in the truth that gave you truth, that gave you, that gave you life. I'm going to show you that verse of scripture in just a moment. But watch this. Next, look at the next verse. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his, who forgiveth what? All thine iniquities. You may be still fighting with sin, fighting with a uh, uh, transgression. And here God has already said, my wrath has been revealed against it. So what did he do? He sent his son. To do what? To deal with what? All unrighteousness, all ungodliness, all sin. Why? You couldn't. I couldn't. So you're not forgiven because of what you did or didn't do. You're forgiven because of what Jesus did. Now righteous people do what? Repent. Right? So when we repent, we're not repenting of something. Notice this, because I'm sorry. No, my repentance is, is because the truth of it is that's not my identity no more. That's not who I am. See, my repentance is based upon that new righteousness, acknowledging, glorifying God for giving me this freedom, giving me this liberty that set me free. So where's the battle? The battle is in your soul. It's in your mind. It's how you think. Your soul is where the battleground is, and it will hold you hostage. You'll still be fighting demons. You'll still be fighting things of your past. You'll still be fighting things that, that holds you with a grip of anxiety. And it's, What is it here? It's because of unrenewed mind. Until one renews his mind, number one, and in, in right here, in glorifying God or magnifying God, meaning holding, holding God of high value, the highest value, above my sickness, above my, my poverty, above my whatever that is, I hold God higher. Because if I'm, if I'm going to come out, I got to have something I can look up to. If you're going to stay in the dungeons, you still got to have something that you're looking up to to keep you there. You're not just going to stay there on your own. No, no, no. It's something you have to keep listening to. It's someone you have to be hanging around. It's something that you got to keep opening the door to to stay there. The same way, if I, want, if I want to live this abundant life, then guess what? That has been afforded to me. I got to keep listening to the word. I got to keep holding God uh, higher. I got to keep glorifying him. I got to keep thanking him. Why? Because he's greater than the, the mess that I'm in. He's my only hope to come out of this mess through the blood of Jesus. Can y'all see that? And I keep wanting to bring these four points to you because, again, this is what causes the body of Christ mainly to do what? To fall away. To live life thinking, say, well, I'm, I'm in grace. And to be honest with you, if you got a double lifestyle, you're not in grace. If you're using your lifestyle, your double lifestyle, to say, I'm in grace, no. Because now you still put in the burden of, on yourself, the burden of your own salvation. I do this so it's all right because I'm... No, what grace does, think about this for a moment. What grace does, grace have totally eradicated, blotted out. That wall, it's not white, it looks white. But let's just say, it's, it's, it's white, it's plain. Well, guess what? The, the, that, that wall was the color... If y'all can see the door, the bathroom door, or the, these, these doors going upstairs, you see that? That wall was almost the color of it. It was like a light, what was it? Mauve color, something like that. But it was a, it was a, it was a color that looked to complement that door. Well, guess what? 
It's been wiped out. You can't tell. Are you understand what I'm saying? Well, it's the same way in your life. When you receive Jesus, listen to this. Your spirit was severed. You know what I mean, severed? Anybody know what the word severed means? Cut away. That stony heart, that old spirit you had, it was cut out by the word of God when you confessed him. And it was put in you. Notice what happened. Then exchange with me. Then his life, his nature was engrafted in you. So that means now you have God's righteousness, God's nature. The Holy Spirit is talking to you what? Through the new life, the new nature that you have that is in Christ Jesus. It's not talking to your unrenewed mind. Because when you, when you allow the, the word of God that is in your spirit, that you begin to highly esteem God, notice this, all of a sudden, your soul now have to come in compliance. This is where the battle is. The battle is not in your spirit, but where the battle is? It's in your soul. Anybody know what your soul is made up of? Your mind, your will, and what? Your emotion. Are you following me? Your soul is made up though. And notice that in your soul you have a conscience. You have your imagination. Right? Your conscience does what? It is teaching you right from wrong. You no longer have a conscience that is seared. I'm going to do it, part of this lesson. I'm going to talk to you about your conscience. There is uh, there's four different types of basic conscience. You know, you, you can have a conscience that's filled with dead works. What dead works would be, again, we always think of something, you know, uh, where we came from, yet it does. But dead work is basically mean what you're trying to do to stay right standing with God. Yeah, you're working for it. That's dead works. Your conscience has been what? Purged from dead works through the blood of Jesus. Now, man cannot live by his conscience alone without the word of God. But as a believer, you and I, your conscience is the first thing that you are able, the first one of the uh, uh, first step or stages you can hear from God. It's through your conscience. Remember when, when we were all kids and you stole something? And you, you know, and you didn't want your parents to know, or you didn't want somebody to know. That thing bothered you when you did that, didn't it? You were frightened. Unless you were worried, you know. <laughs> I just here. Let me stop. But you, you understand what I'm saying? It bothered you. What was that? Your conscience was trying to tell you that's wrong. Don't do that. But what happened is what? We do what? We ignore. Huh? What do we do? We ignore our conscience, right? And when you ignore your conscience, guess what happened? It becomes seared. Like in hot iron. Like people nerve, you know, if you got burned, it could sear that nerve that where you no longer have a feeling there. Mm -hmm. Another way of being seared is like branding an animal. You know, take that hot iron. And what it does? They put their stamp on there. So your conscience can become seared. It is it's a way of whereas you just no longer discerning. The principle of what's right and wrong about whatever you're doing is no longer acceptable. Because you're not what? You're not moved. Your conscience is not 
convicting you. Your conscience is not bothering you. You have ignored your conscience. You have walked away from it from so far that whereas now you're no longer able to discern right or wrong. That's heavy, heavy, isn't it? But I'm just trying to show you. This righteousness, look, the life that we have in Christ is so much easier to live by than to still stay kind of trying to do things in the, in the booth, in the back, in the corner of the dark and trying to make things right with God. Man, that's work. So grace has afforded us a new life, a new identity. Does it mean that I'm going to be perfect? No. But when I mess up, my conscience is there. And guess what? Now that I'm a disciple, a disciple is what? A student of the word, I begin to look it up in the word of God, how to correct this. I know it's wrong. Lord, I repent of that. But what I do, I need to take the word of God, remember, image and likeness. I need to take what is like God and put it and put it before my eye and do what? And begin to allow the word as a seed out of my spirit into my innermost being and plant the new life, that new identity of that which I already have, I'm wearing on the inside. These clothes is what? It's covering my nakedness. Right? It's the same way about your spirit. You can't see your spirit that's born of God. You can't see all the goodness of God that's in you, dwelling in and out of you. But guess what? This body, your spirit have to have a house, and this body is a house. So what you do, you are now, as this body that of mine is wearing these clothes to cover my nakedness, then guess what? Now you wear Christ through what? The way I speak. The way I behave. Right? People will know that I'm born of God because I am highly exalting him. I'm looking to him. See, that's what that life that's inside of you has put inside of you to do that. But the soulless part of you, the word has to filter through your soul. That's where all the confusion, that's where all the mess up, that's where all the whatever, it, it, you know, it justifies. It wants to qualify. It wants to look at, you know, sin. And, well, my sin is not worse than they sin. Well, at least I didn't live my life like that, so I know I'm going to be all right with God. But what that boy did over that, man, see, we try to qualify. That's not going to fly with God. So you and I, as a disciple, you and I have come out from amongst the world. And we have come into the house of God so that we can learn, so that we can grow in this new identity. Because the more we, we go up, the more we are less attracted to the thing that had us, in, that had us trapped, that had us baited, that had us locked in. See, we're no longer making excuses for our life. Why I'm like I am. Why I do like I do. No. The new life in me won't put me, has put me in a place where I no longer have to justify. I no longer have to accept where I have, where I'm living it, what I'm struggling with. Nope. I can go to the word of God. Why? Because I value. I glorify God. Notice the scripture said, go back over there to uh, Psalm 1, what is that? I mean, not Psalm. Romans 1, 1 121. Notice what it said. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Let him get there for a moment. Praise the Lord. How many understand what I'm saying so thus far? Notice this. See what he said? Because that, when they what? Knew. knew God, they what? And the word glorify means what? They did not value. They did not highly esteem him. They did not put him in the principle. The, it did not make him the principal thing. Hmm? 
I mean, just think about, we do it every day. When you go to work, or if you work, or whatever, you have a home, whether you're renting it or buying it. You got to cut the grass, right? You, you, what are you doing? You, you, you're putting value into where you live, your vehicle. You got to wash it, right? Got to clean it out sometime, right? You got to get them chicken bones. You got to get them little debits from under that seat. You got to get that from under that, right? <laughs> what are you doing? You're putting value on your vehicle. We do it all the time. But when it comes to the things of this new identity that we have in Christ, we just, it's like we caught amnesia. No. Same principle. He said, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they what? Thankful. In other words, now because you don't glorify, you don't highly esteem him, now you're going to become unthankful. Nothing good never happened. Every time I try to do this, this happens. I must be just cursed. I got a generation of curse on me. Mm. We put, I mean, what are you doing? You're sinking back, looking for approval, looking for acceptance to stay as you are and to just kind of like float along with it in and out. No, I don't want that. No, you got to get to a place where is, when it, notice what it says, they were unthankful, neither were they thankful. The meaning this, this is the children of Israel. Prime example. Prime example. The children of Israel were delivered out of, and maybe I need to show y'all this. Um, okay, Casey, okay, so go to Exodus. Let's see. Uh, they were supposed to have, I'm trying to think, uh, I think maybe Exodus 14. Here it was, they were delivered. Instead of them being thankful, that their ancestors... The generation before them, they were in bondage. They was in prison. I mean, in slavery. Now they are free. They have crossed over the Red Sea. Moses go up. Look at this. And they said to Moses, because there was no grave in Egypt, has thou taken us away to die in this wilderness? Now, they didn't cross the Red Sea. They were glorifying God when that thing opened up. Now, they're on the other side. Now, what are they doing? They stopped esteeming God. They stopped valuing what he did. Now, they're becoming unthankful. Look what he said. Has thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore has thou dealt thus uh, with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Next verse. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptian? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptian than we should die in the wilderness. You see the picture they got? Uh, that's right. You see the picture they have? You see the image they have of themselves? This is why I say you have to reflect. Because you can forget. Just because you got past this danger, I, well, I, ain't, I ain't worried about that. You know, I got to eat right now. What am I going to do right now? This was their mindset. This represents the church today. Being unthankful. Hmm? Let us alone. 
that we may serve the Egyptian. And meanwhile, I want to go back to the world. I want to go back to enslavement. That's what we're saying. So if the world is looking to us, the reason that God stepped aside from Israel for a season was to make them jealous by you and I having the same God that brought them across the Red Sea, he became a man. They can't accept that. Not all of them, but a bunch of them, they can't accept that. They're still waiting on the Messiah. Your life and mine is supposed to give them something to look upon, and they see we got something they don't have. But if we're falling back and forth, not understanding who God has, what God has made unto us, who we are, just because you have a little trouble, just because you got a flat tire, just because things don't work right, just because the car won't start, just because something, you know, you had an argument with your spouse, all of a sudden you just think all held and broke loose. No! You're magnifying the situation higher than the God that you serve, that brought you out of Egypt. Think about where you were before you got saved. Think about what your attitude was. Think about your, what your behavior was. Before you got born again. Now that you're in the body of Christ, now that you are saved, we find ourselves still complaining, going back. We find ourselves still you know, talking to those things that, 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 that got us in bondage justified, petting that thing. It's like that woman that took the injured snake and nursed the snake back to hell. And when the snake got big, got, 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 got well, the snake turned around and bit her and she asked the snake, why did you bite me? His nature is to do what? It's to bite you. And if he could, eat you. That's his nature. Every good snake is a dead one to me. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? I don't give a damn people my pet. No, 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 no. Don't bring that around me, Shaft. A good snake is a dead snake. I got shovels all around my house. I got one in the front. I got one on my patio because I live kind of like back, kind of like wooded or whatever. You know, I, you know, it won't come across that path or whatnot. You know, I look, I'm in a different mode. <laughs> look what he said here. For we, it had been better for us to do what? Serve the Egyptian. That's just like Christian going back and trying to find a way to justify going back into the world, living like the devil. You know that's not right. How do you expect you to be a witness? How do you expect God to use you and I as a disciple to bring someone out? Hmm? When they're going to look at you and I, there's no different. Well, he's still sick, just like I am. He's still broke like I am. Well, he's still drinking old cognac like I drink. Ain't no different. Oh, yeah, I get drunk and say a couple crazy things, but he get drunk and we both say this. We both talk crazy just to each other. Right? I mean, you know, I, I was never a big drinker, but when I did, you know, I'm pretty sure I said a couple crazy things. Uh, <laughs> y'all been there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Look, y'all sitting there, y'all sitting there like y'all ain't never. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Maybe y'all got your head down. I understand. <laughs> yeah, ain't never done that much. That's JW. <laughs> well, you know, but just think about it. Why would I want to justify of something that I knew was killing me? Something that put me in bondage. Something that hurted me. Something that, something that almost took my life. And now I want to kind of like flirt with it again. 
So you become too comfortable because why? You stop glorifying God. You stop holding the value. You stop esteeming the thing that God did for you. I mean, you stop loving him. You just, you become so common now that whereas they can't tell whether or not you say it. They don't hear it. Hmm? They said, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptian than that we should die in the wilderness. You see the, the only thought they got? Next verse, Casey. Huh? Oh, that's it right there? And Moses said to the people, Fear ye not. Stand still. And do what? See the salvation of the Lord. Which he will show you today. For the Egyptian whom you have seen today, you shall see them again, what? No more. Forever. This life that brought them this, this deliverance is in you and I right now. And the Lord shall fight for you. And you shall what? Hold your peace. Hmm? I think you got the gist of this, right? All right. Go to Numbers 13. We're going to close with this. Numbers 13. I'm trying to paint a picture of we're going to use you. I'm going to talk about the power of your imagination for the next couple of weeks in this lesson. But I'm trying to show you why your imagination is so important. Because you, you and I are the one that fill in the blank whether we're going to continue to be thankful, whether we're going to continue to glorify God, or because your imagination is going to take up on the image of the first two. Are you getting this? Notice this in, in our... Exodus, I mean, not Exodus, Numbers 13, and uh, look over here. Let's start at verse 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this, this way southward and go into the mountain and see the land, what it is, is the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong, weak, or few, And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it is good land, bad, what the cities they be that they dwell in, whether it be intense or stronghold. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. Should have had chariot on that. And they went up and they searched the land from the wilderness of Zen to Rehob as men come to Hobbit. And they ascended by the south, right? And they came under Hebron where, what is that? Aikman, all that, all that, all that. Keep going, Casey. And they came to the brook of Esku. And he cut down from this a branch, one cluster of grape, and they bare it between the two upon the sail. And they brought it of the pomegranate and of the figs. Well, my wife would love that. Keep going. And the place where the brook of Esku, because the cluster of grape, which the children of Israel cut down from thence, and they returned from searching the land after 40 days. Now, here we go. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel and under the wilderness of Paran and to Gadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Pretty good. And they told him and said, We came to the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. 
See, that's what their point, that's what they did. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are wall, and the very great, and moreover, we saw the children of Agnac there, meaning we saw children that were of giants. They brought back the report of what was in there, but then they said, nevertheless, next verse, and the Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south, the Hittite, Jubasite, Amorite, in the mountain, all them Ike. Next verse, Casey. And Caleb did what? What did Caleb do? He stilled the people before Moses and said, what, what did he say? Let us what? Let us go up at what? Once and do what? Possess it. For we are what? Well able to do what? What would possess, what would give a person that kind of, see, first of all, glorifying God, how did they glorify God? They knew that he was in Egypt. They remember all of, who that was? That's not me, huh? They remember all the plague, right? Remember all the plagues that they went through? They saw the first, they saw all the plague that took place in Pharaoh, and, and, and especially the death of the firstborn of every household and the death of all the first, of the animal, the first male animal. So all that happened, they witnessed that. And Pharaoh told Moses to go and leave and take everything and everybody with you. Now remember we stopped off in the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus? They're getting ready now to do what? Exit. They're getting ready now to see the Red Sea, getting ready to open up, and God's going to drown all of them because they're going to come forth after them. They witnessed all this. Now think about this for a moment. I want to paint this in your imagination. They said it was 600,000 men beside women and children. I mean, what about livestock? So if it's 600,000 men, you got to believe each man probably had a wife, right? And two or three children. So we're already at 1.2 million people, not including the children. So how many, so they said the estimate could have been almost two to three million people. And the livestock. It could be more. But let's just, let's just stay with the 600,000 men, not include women and children. How many people we got in Lafayette? About 300,000. All right. So now think about that. So now think about that. All of Lafayette, God is giving us an escape route. He didn't set all these people free. And I wanted you to I want to paint a picture to you because they witnessed the Red Sea opening. Not only did they witness it, but they walked on dry ground. Now, here's the point what you see. With 600,000 men, not including women and children, livestock, how long do you think it took them to get over that? They own horses. But here's what God did. The angel went from before them and went behind them, and it was night before them, but it was light for the children of Israel. I'm trying to show you this, they forgot. Because where we are right here, they forgot. So, here it is, God didn't open this sea. Now think about how wide this thing got to be open. 
for that many people to pass through. How long is it going to take them to get all their stuff across there? Now, I don't know. I think if you're probably mathematical, you can kind of figure that out. But I don't know. But I can guarantee it, it probably took about a day or so to get all of them, to hold that up. Nobody can do that but God. They saw this. They witnessed this. And once they got crossed, and that's why Caleb said, still, and keep, Caleb, still the people before Moses said, let us go up at one. The reason why he said that, because he was part of that crop when he saw what God did. The other ten came back and said, Look, we can possess it. We are well able to overcome it. Watch this. What is he doing? He's glorifying God. He's, being, he's showing his thankfulness. He got an image of what God did. Next verse, case. But the men that went up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are what? Stronger than we. They forgot. The Egyptians were stronger than they were too. Mightier than they was too. So you see how you can forget? Can you see how you can hold what you see at the moment, what you're experiencing at the moment, with more value than what God has already done for them? See, remember when I said to be thankful, you got to remember, you got to reflect, you got to, you got to go back and humble yourself and say, uh-uh, if God brought us out of Egypt and opened that Red Sea and we witnessed that it opened and we witnessed all of Pharaoh and his co-hosts drown." Then who are these uncircumcised Philistines that is in there? We joining Caleb. Yes, we are well able to overtake them, to possess it. These same people were part of the crew that came out of Egypt. But you see what they said? We are not able. Now, you got 12 spies. 10 Come back with a affected or defective report. Each tribe may hold 50,000, 10,000, 30,000, 75,000. Each tribe, each one of them represent a tribe. So when they went back, they're going to look to their representative. Brother George is going to say, Well, Pastor, can we do it? And I say, No. They got giants out there. Man, I saw spiders that look like I don't know what. And the snakes, they got running around. No, we ain't going. Let that fool go over there. We're well able. No, something wrong with him. Don't y'all believe that? He want to get us out there and all of us going to die. Sounds like a convincing argument, doesn't it? We both was over there. So what you going to do? See, unless you have a way to reflect, unless you have a way to remember, you're going to coward. You're going to go back in the flesh. You're going to get back in the flesh. And that's what Satan, he plays on. He thrives on our emotion that works through our senses. Why? Because you have taken your mind off of him. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Not when everything is well. Right in the midst of the storm. Right in the midst of the trouble. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. You got to keep your mind on him. It can't be part time, Brother Joe. Yes, sir. No, I'm just saying, I, I once heard a while back, you don't think about the devil. You won't do nothing like the devil make. 
He won't what? If you don't think about the devil, and you won't do nothing of his works. Well, 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 guess what? Yeah, he will. He'll use something to try to get your attention, to see whether or not you're going to take it. But when you have understanding, and you're grown, and you understand that, hey, okay, there's nothing can happen to me that my God has not already made a way for me to escape. So when you know that, that's why you could be at peace. Because if something happened, even out of my own ignorance, I don't look at my, 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 my dumbness. I look to the one who has freed me and say, Father, even in this, I value you. I worship you. Lord, show me how to get this off. Show me how to walk away from this. Why? What am I doing? Because I know he's the, he's the only hope. He's the only help that I have. But if I look at it from the perspective of, man, I know I shouldn't have done that. Now things are going to get worse. Now uh, I'm just have to cut, suffer the consequences. Now I'm just going to have to whatever, you know, do whatever, do this. What am I doing? I'm magnifying the problem, the misstep, more than the God that I serve. So if you want to know what keep God, if I could say that at distance in you and I, is your own belief. And the Bible said, he's right there. He's so close as it's, a, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. It's the word of faith that we preach. It could seem like God is so far away, but he's not. Your words through your imagination have put you in a place that that's all you could see. That's all you could think of because you're putting words in place that make it appear that God is way over here and really he's not. How many understand what I'm saying? So that's why when a person is unthankful, these are the things that happen. And then your imagination becomes vain. We'll pick this up Wednesday. Casey, go back to uh, Romans 1.21, and I'll close with this, just to get to put these other uh, in there. Notice this. He said, because when they knew God, number one, they glorified him not as God. I really want y'all to meditate on it this weekend. I mean, this week. Number two, neither were they thankful. But became, you see that? Vain in their what? Imagination. The picture, the thing that you see, whatever you're going through, you become vain in it because of the first two, you stop giving God glory. You stop honoring God. You stop finding a way where God's word says above it, the circumstance. You're subsiding. You, you're adapting. You, you're hanging around. You're feeding the hurt. You're feeding the sorrow rather than looking to what your right standing with God has already afforded you to take from the table. He afforded you health. He afforded you healing. He afforded you prosperity. But you're still talking about your yada. You're still feeding on your yada. And that's why he said, but their heart became vain in their imagination. I mean, they became vain in their imagination, meaning your imagination is the place of conception. It's how you conceive. Your imagination paints a picture through words. And when you begin to speak those words, now conception is taking place so that you can begin to live out what you have conceived. You don't even know it. A person deceived is the last person to know that they are deceived. Everybody else can see it, but you're the last person to know it. Because why? And the last one right here, 
and their foolish heart was darkened. That, that don't mean this heart that pump blood. Your understanding has become darkened because you figure your way is all right. Or you're trying to explain where you are against God's word. That's why you save. Save people, believe the word. Save people, feed on the truth. We may not get it all right at, the, at, at once, but guess what? We keep moving towards it. We keep pushing. We keep pressing in until revelation truth hits us. That's why we're saved. Because you can get it. Unsaved people can't see this. That's why you and I, wherever you live, you're living your life so that unsaved people, your unsaved neighbors, your unsaved relatives, your unsaved, your associate friends, whatever, they can see the light of Christ in you. Amen? You are that, you're the only Bible they're going to know for right now. So God is, ex is expecting. God is counting on you and I to reveal the life you receive that they can see me, see Christ in you. They can see that you are living your life the way that you, that Christ have died for you. And when they have something wrong, guess what? They're going to come calling you. Man, I've been watching you. I just wanted to see what you, what you had, was it was real or not. Well, we're going to stop right there. I did good today. Get glad you came. Well, praise God.